Right, and welcome to the Rory's Nitro podcast, the show that rips up the buy rates and TV ratings and declares our own winner in some of pro wrestling's biggest head-to-head battles. I'm your host, Lee Carlos Cunningham, joined once again by Richie Von Sexington. How's things, Richie? All good, mate. It's been fun getting this call sorted. Yeah, we've spent about an hour actually trying to get online here. So for those of you more technologically advanced than me, I hate you because it took me ages just to get this going. That's a dedication to the love I have for this uh... These two shows that but, we spend an hour trying to fiddle with things we don't understand. By the time we get through recording this and I get through editing it, it will have had far more man hours than it deserved for the quality of wrestling served up. Oh, it's if there was a ratio between quality of wrestling and hours spent, this is not going to rate well. <laughs> it should be. It should be a final. That should be a tiebreaker when the, we get to the end of uh, if there's ever a, a draw at the end. <laughs> how long it took and was it worth watching um for those of you not in the know we've actually traveled back to the oldest period this show's ever covered so we're to 1983 the year before i was actually born and we're here to review awa super sunday from the 24th of april 1983 up against a wwf house show from madison square garden from the 20th of march 1983 so richie's picks these two uh but i'm not going to hold it against him because it's been a good historical journey of nothing else uh but certainly different times in professional wrestling. Definitely looking at these through uh, 2017 eyes. It's, uh, it's, it's different. Tail of the tape for these two shows as well. Um, AWA comes from the St. Paul Civic Centre and drew an attendance of 20,000, though you probably wouldn't have been able to tell that by watching it. More on that later. The WWF show in Madison Square Garden was actually a capacity 26,109, including the little forum off to the side sold out as well. So big numbers there. And... I don't know if you know this or not, Richie, but the show on the network from the house show actually omitted three matches. So do you know what those three matches were? I don't. I I didn't want to, you know, I wouldn't want to spoil myself. So the three matches we didn't see were Swede Hansen pinning Pete Sanchez. So that sounded like an all-time classic. Do you know who either of those guys are? No, but... I kind of want to know about Sweet Hansen. <laughs> that makes two of us then, because I know nothing about either of them. Andre the Giant, Rocky Johnson, and Superfly Jimmy Snooker beat Big John Stud, Affa of the Wild Samoans, and a substituting in for Seeker, Captain Lou Albano, in a six-man tag best three out of five falls matchup. I feel like I've been cheated. <laughs> How did we not get that? That is absolute bullshit that we missed out on that. And just so you know, they actually pinned them in three straight falls. Of course. And then for, this was actually, I believe, the last match shown. So I know back in the in the old house show days, the main event wasn't always the last match. But SD Jones picked up a rare pinfall victory over Jose Estrada. I, I just feel like we were doomed from starting this. It was, um, yeah, things have not gone well for us here. So that's the tale of the tape anyway. Um, obviously, I've not got ratings or anything like that, and it predates pay-per-view. Uh, the Madison Square Garden show would have been shown locally around the east coast of America on the MSG network, I believe, but um, it's going back a fair way, so getting accurate readings on that is a little bit difficult. Which show did you actually watch first? Uh, I went AWA, no reason. Well, I did too, so that makes it a little bit easier. Should we run over to the middle of America and see what Vern and Co. have got installed for us? Let's let's get it over and done with. All right, let's do it.
So, over in the AWA, we are given a pretty cold opening in the ring by Mean Gene Oakland, who just basically is introducing the first match. Mean Gene, for those of you uh, that haven't seen this show, does the ring introductions, the final announcements, interviews outside of the ring, and keeps us up to date with the time. So, he's certainly earning his paycheck on this card. At some point, I think he's selling programs as well. I'm sure he comes on the house, Mike. He's like, don't forget to pick up your programs. Probably practicing for like his uh, hotlines later on when he's on WCW. <laughs> I guess so. Um, but yeah, he's um, all over the place. And he does, of course, in the ring in- introductions, do the repeating of the second name for all the guys as well. So another little bit piece there. On the actual commentary table alone is Ron Trongard. So my first, you know, the first time I've had the pleasure of listening to him. What did you think about his commentary just before we delve too far into the action? It wasn't too bad. It was quite low key, but uh, I like the fact that he, instead of calling it a suplex, he kept calling it a suplex. Yeah, very old timey wrestling thing to do. I don't know. All through this yeah. match, I just imagined him chomping on a cigar while counting his dollar bills under the table. That's how he sounded to me. Very old timey. Yeah, yeah. He definitely. Uh, he's got a Cadillac. Definitely <laughs> a Cadillac. <laughs> And when we open up, the first contest is Rocky Stone taking on Brad Renegan. So, two stellar names that I know nothing about. And we go straight into the action. So, no pomp and circumstance here. And they do open up with a handshake before going into some chain wrestling. Brad Renegan then comes off with a slam, an arm drag, a leapfrog, and another arm drag before working on the arm, which just early doors here on this show is a staple of the AWA in the eighties here. There's a lot of working on the arm, not much working on the leg for this one. Is there? No, no, they, uh, they're keeping it real. This is probably the best way to put it, but they, they, every time something's been worked on, it's the arm. And we get a, I don't know if you heard this or not, but a shout from the crowd, rip his arm, like from the front row, seemingly just screaming. Now I missed that. I, I thought the crowd, I don't think they mic the crowds at that point, so it seemed quite quiet for the for the, for the crowd. So they didn't mic them, and they certainly didn't light them. <laughs> you could not see no. anything beyond the ring. Um, he goes for a second leapfrog here, does Renegans, but he doesn't get uh, doesn't time it quite right, so he eats a shoulder to the gut from Rocky Stone, who then comes back with a snap mare and begins to work a headlock over Brad Renegans. It's very mat based wrestling here, and um, having one commentator without a color guy really does hurt it when the action slows down. I found it really weird. This guy just just yakking on. Stone uh, begins to use like shots to the neck and gouges in the eye as some heel tactics to get a little bit of heat. Um, also, it's here I realise his name's Rocky Stone. Like, how bad of a name is that? Like, <laughs> no, no pun intended. I'm surprised that the NXT random name generator hasn't come up with it before. <laughs> Um, we get a long series of Brad being groggy on the apron um, after being hit into the turnbuckles quite a bit. Then he comes in, fires up, hits a backdrop, a couple of drop kicks, and then a gut wrench souple for the one, two, and the three in a fairly short, inoffensive, if not spectacular opening contest. It was a nice start. I mean, like you say, it wasn't offensive. Didn't do any. Didn't have any odd booking, and he won with a souple. Yeah, all the all the favourites. Actually, as a, as an 80s move, the gut wrench suplex is not too bad for a finish, really, is it? No, I mean, the way that I... Because I've watched the AWA doc and all that, is like, he, he, he wasn't going to be like finishes like a super kick party. Like, Vern ain't going to go for that, so he's going to go for something that's quite 
you know, looks high impact, but athletic. Yeah, absolutely. We get a bit of an awkward cut from the replay to Gene Oakland in the ring asking about the finishing move. Uh, the crowd boo, but Gene tells us they're not booing uh, Renegans. They're booing others coming out to the ring. And as you said before, <laughs> he then tells everyone in the audience that programs are available doing a little bit of shilling. So that is good stuff. I love it. It's just so cheap. It's the idea of like, can you imagine this in the middle of like SummerSlam? Michael Cole. <laughs> getting on the mic and going, don't forget your programs and your t-shirts. Be, he'd have to take time out from selling as the latest app, Twitter hashtags and Mountain Dew, wouldn't he? Well, yeah, I mean, have you played this game? No, and neither of you, Michael. <laughs> yeah, there's not much better than... Um, who was it? Um, recently, they're trying to sell that Rocket League soccer game, and I'm like, come on, guys, you don't play that shit. It might be Booker T, but I'm not sure. Yeah. Um, we go to our second contest, which is Steve Regal. Don't get excited. It's not the good version. Up against Buck Zumhoff. Do you know anything about these two gentlemen? Uh, I've heard of non-Steven Regal, Steven Regal, but uh, not enough to know anything about him. It seems to look like a less pissed off Bob Holly. Well, that's certainly the better of the two options because Buck Zumhoff is actually currently serving time in prison uh, as a convicted pedophile. Oh, crap. Yeah, yeah that story is... I hadn't realised. I know there's a couple from that time. Yeah. yeah. So that made it all, all the more uncomfortable to watch, knowing that. <laughs> I, I don't want to look at my notes now. Yeah. Well, my first note here pretty much sums up my feelings. It's a pedo dressed as Elvis carrying a boombox. Fuck off. I, I, every every note I've got involving uh, books, zoom off, can basically, you know, fuck off. <laughs> and... But, uh, sorry, I, I should announce, uh, call him what they call him. It's Rock and Roll Buck Zoomhoff. So I was, you know, I was, wasn't was born here, but I was born the next year and lived through the latter half of the 80s. I'm fairly certain, if my memory doesn't deceive me, that walking around with an Elvis jumpsuit and a boombox didn't constitute rock and roll in the 80s. What do you think, Richie? Uh, no, having lived through the entire of the 80s, I'm pretty certain that wasn't the case. If you were rock and roll in the early 80s, you looked like probably Poison, <laughs> not a guy wearing a cheap Elvis knockoff. Yeah, it's, um, it's pretty bad. This is obviously what um, Vern and co. thought that the young hip crowd wanted, but they're a million miles away. It's, it's not like they're uh, any better nowadays when Vince tries to go for something, a gimmick that's like, I don't know, that orientated, and he misses popular uh, culture by about five years every time. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, Buck tries to get the crowd going with a clap along, but fails pretty miserably. Um, and Rod Trongard goes on a little tirade here about how awesome the cameraman is. So, you know, good stuff there. Um, we get Buck uh, hit, flips out of a monkey flip. Sorry, that's a bit of a tongue twister there. He flips out of a monkey flip, hits a drop kick before Regal comes back with a slam for uh, with some booze from the crowd. Buck comes back with a slam and does some terrible dancing, once again epitomizing 80s rock and roll. Uh, he looks a bit more like the dynamic dude than rock and roll Buck Zoom off to me. No, I was just going to say, it's just awful. It's just the gimmick so bad. Yeah, this was piss poor. Uh, Regal then with a snapmare and an armbar, a knee lift for a two count, and goes into some strikes. The commentator tells us this is wrestling's biggest night ever, so interesting comment there. WrestleMania is still a, a couple of years away, so who knows? You know, maybe this was a big deal back then. 
Regal hits an elbow drop uh, for a second two count, an armbar, and uses the hair to keep the armbar locked in. Zoom off and does his absolute worst Hulk Hogan dancing Hulk up um, before hitting an Irish whip, a beal, and a drop kick, and actually does manage to get the crowd going with his clap along here, so who knows, maybe some people thought he was cool. Eats a knee in the corner, then a slam, and a sort of springy Vader bomb almost for the one, two, three. Uh, it, the winner wasn't wrestling. The winner was not wrestling. This was a very poor, awkward match with uh, a heel with no heat, a baby face with no personality, and a match that flat out sucked. It's like that thing that uh, that story Austin always tells about whoever he's traveling in the car asking, but who is stunning Steve? And it's like, fuck Stumoff or whatever he's called. He's, he's obviously just looked around, gone, I'm going to wear that. I'm going to grab that boombox. And I'm going to go out. And like none of it actually works as a gimmick. It's just I've grabbed some stuff. I'm heading out to the ring. Yeah, absolute bellend. Yeah, well, I mean, enough said. I don't really want to waste time on uh, old uh, fuck off. <laughs> um, Gene interviews him and apparently wants Mike Graham for the light heavyweight title in a match hopefully we won't ever have to watch. No, no, he's, uh, he's just made the Benoit list, I think, for me. Yeah. We then get Jerry the King Lawler, so this was a bit of an interesting one for me, up against the Golden Greek John Tolos. Now, do you know who the Golden Greek John Tolos is? The name I've heard of, again, it's not someone I'm particularly uh, aware of. He was, well, most people, I guess, it depends on your, your generation. I personally know him better as the coach. So the very brief uh, WWF manager of Mr. Perfect in 1991. Yeah, that's where I recognise the name from. So you'll, if you go back and watch the absolute classic between Perfect and Bret Hart, you'll see the coach all over the apron blowing his whistle like a dickhead. Uh, there's nothing I love more than uh, coaches blowing whistles all the way through matches. <laughs> I've got a note here that says Gene nearly says the wrong... Oh, yes, yes, yes. They're trying to talk about um, Jerry Lawler and the... Um, Oh, Andy Kaufman in an incident on Letterman. But Gene goes to say the man famous for doing this on The Tonight Show or The Late Show or whatever it was, he, he just about spurts out the wrong show before correcting himself and saying it was on Letterman. So that was got a little chuckle out of me in the introductions. He's it, 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 just not as practiced as he, as he becomes. No. Uh, the one thing I wished about Lawler was he actually looks older there than now. <laughs> Oh, man, that is funny. Tolos, of course, is looking very old as well, and he jumps Jerry Lawler pretty much straight away, and you guessed it, he goes to work on the arm. He's got some very slow offense, including some going up to the second rope to jump off and do a stomp to the arm, which sounds a lot more impactful than it actually was if you were watching it. Goes back to work on the arm, and Jerry Lawler comes back with his big comeback of one punch. Lawler loves to punch. He loves to I mean, sell it for longer than he actually does any offense, though, doesn't he? Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's odd, Lawler, because he often gets, like Flair, he can have a wrestling match with a broom. But whenever I watch, the broom would just have to stand there and get punched. <laughs> he eventually hits a second punch, but then we go into a really long sequence of house show stalling. You know, the whole cock your, pu- your, cock your punch, cock your fist and look to the crowd for approval and wait to see if they cheer while the other guy begs off and wonders what you're going to do. Oh, I just, I've got no time for that shit. Either wrestle or don't wrestle. Get the fuck out of the ring. Yeah, too much, 
Too much pandering. We go to a headlock spot, um, and then Jerry Lawler gets a hold of him by the head and sort of, you know, lets go and rings it. You know, it's, it's hard to describe, but almost like a, a, a rocking sequence, and the crowd counts head rings on the headlock. Like, it's just really bad stuff. I was amazed that the crowd was into that, but they, they loved it. I mean, again, I'm not looking at this in 2017 eyes. They, they, they love, I mean, this isn't the worst of it that they love. And not only that, but it doesn't even go just to 10. It goes to 25. Like, come on. Do a move, Lola. Well, obviously he wasn't in the mood that night. <laughs> he then hits a third punch and gets a really slow fall out of Tolos. This is just two old guys with no athleticism left. Lola's not old, but one old guy and one guy that never really based his in-ring stuff on athleticism anyway. Um, he hits his patented fist drop before going back to the headlock. And then we get a sunset flip for a two count. So a wrestling move finally. They have a double shoulder block and Tolos throws Jerry Lawler over the top rope for a disqualification finish in a shit finish to a shit match. Except for the fact that, no, the bell rang, but they're not going to call the disqualification. So I had all my notes about the match and it turns out, no, we're just going to keep going. So we come back in and Tolos hits a backbreaker for a two count. My notes here just say, what the fuck? Like, you've just rung the bell for a disqualification and now we're back in just wrestling like nothing happened. Um, Lawler comes back with a snap mare, some punches on the mat, a second rope fish drop. Tolos um, just basically falls apart here. Lawler picks up a two count while he sort of convulses on the mat. Tolos misses um, a whip into the corner, then runs into the other corner voluntarily, which is strange. Lawler comes at the post, uh, hits his shoulder into it, but then recovers long enough to pick up a pile driver for the 1-2-3, with Tolos kicking out at 3.001, just to make sure the move didn't look impactful. What an absolute train wreck. Uh, I mean, Tolos seems, as he gets through the match, his selling gets more and more comedic. It's almost as if he's like, uh, I've had enough now, solid. And they don't even bother to explain what the hell went on with the whole throwing over the top rope. Like, they basically just said, I mean, Ron Tronkar basically says that's going to be a disqualification. The bell rings, and then they just carry on like nothing happened. Well, I think it's safe to say I don't think Jerry was supposed to go over the top rope. No, obviously not. But this whole thing, it was just, yeah, I, I, I feel worse for having watched it. Yeah, it was uh, it was when I started to debate my choice with this match. <laughs> I mean, obviously not knowing about fuck off earlier, uh, then at least I could get through that one without feeling dirty. But this one, this one was where it started. Yeah, and then we head into a ladies tag team title match with the, one of the highlights of this here for me is Gene Oakland during the introduction has actually says the words, "It's one fall, forty five minutes." Exciting! <laughs> you can't just tack that onto that sentence. It doesn't make any sense. As I idea, are they going to do a forty-five minute Broadway? It's, it's like I'm praying not. <laughs> the champions are Joyce Grable and Wendy Richter taking on Judy Martin and Velvet Mac Velvet McIntyre. Three of these four ladies you'll remember from our Survivor Series nineteen eighty-eight. I want to say no, eighty-seven. I'm pretty sure it was, wasn't it? Eighty-seven. Mm. So. Yeah. Yeah, I was actually quite interested to see how this all panned out to see if the girls got a little bit more leeway in the older sort of AWA style rather than some of the restrictions placed on them in the WWF. But there's only one way to find out, really. Yeah, you just have to keep pressing on. 
So Velvet McIntyre is attacked early, and then Wendy Richter is tossed out of the ring. Uh, we've got no mats on the outside floor, so fair play to them for taking those bumps. And as Joey uh, Styles would point out, 10 years later or 50 years later, that's, that's proper hardcore. Yep. Velvet McIntyre then hits a crossbody um, onto a very pasty ginger opponent for a two-count. <laughs> then Judy Martin comes in, starts to work over the arm. Martin then hits a punch and a slam, goes on the arm some more. Uh, it's very, very dark in the arena, so anything on the apron and beyond is very, very difficult to really make out. Velvet McIntyre, except, go on. So say, except they've got that bit where, obviously, where the bar is in front of the hard camera, that with the light. Yeah, just one, like an open door with a light on, isn't it? It's just, yeah, or like a, it's like a garage door or an entrance or something. Yeah, it's like, uh, you know, either shut it or do something with it, but they've just got this, and you can just see people stood there every now and again. Looks like they're just having a beer. <laughs> we have Grable coming back in and working over the arm of Velvet McIntyre. Hits three snap mares, and Rod says... Flips her twice. Um, so, some interesting comments there. Judy Martin comes in, ducks an elbow and hits a clothesline. Uh, Grable, Grable makes a save on the pin. Judy Martin starts to beat on both of her opponents, hits a knee lift, and then puts Wendy Richter in the tree of woe. Uh, we get a surfboard spot. They take turns on Judy Martin before the hot tag to Velvet McIntyre, who comes in with a monkey flip, a couple of drop kicks, a beal, and a flying head scissors. And then we get all four women in the ring for a little bit of brawling. The heels get shoved into each other. Judy Martin hits a slam, misses a splash, and then in one of the dumbest spots I've seen in quite a while, every member of the match misses a splash in succession without any other moves being performed. What did you think about that? I don't, I don't know. Well, they didn't have agents at the time. That that must have been just like they were having a laugh. Either before the match, they were like, let's do this, because it'll annoy Vern, <laughs> or while they're in the match. They just went, yeah, do you fancy a giggle? <laughs> Imagine I miss a splash on you, so you go to splash me and you miss. Then my partner goes to splash you and he misses. Your partner's not going to go for a splash. They're going to go, fuck this, you all look like idiots and just wait for someone to get up. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's like the first two actually were okay. It was quite exciting, but <laughs> adding the extra ones, it's that bit where they go a bit too far and you go, oh yeah, it's wrestling. <laughs> you know, it's like, you, 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 you took something that was almost realistic and then just one iteration too far. And then just to talk about the disconnect between what the people actually wanted and what the AWA was willing to give them, Rod Trungard on commentary, and I quote, the crowd loses it. The crowd, and I quote, boo. <laughs> yeah. They're not happy. Not one bit. <laughs> um, we get a double team backbreaker, and Grable then hits a power bomb for the one, two, three. So I was a bit shocked to see a power bomb here, and a match that, other than that splash spot, was not too bad in fairness. Um, but Gene interviews the winners, um, which is of course Grable and Richter, and they cut an absolutely terrible promo. So you know, any hope of getting the crowd back on side is instantly dead with that. All right, ladies and gentlemen, my guest, the successful defense of the Ladies Tag Team Championship of the World, Wendy Rector to my right, to my left, Joyce Scrabble, Joyce McIntyre and Martin truly testing the two of you tonight. Oh, you know, they're good wrestlers, but when you got the best, what else can you ask for? And Wendy and I are the best because you see who's got these belts, don't you? 
All right. They got that straight. He's got these belts. We do. We are the champions, and we're unbeatable. All right. Well, enough is enough, ladies. I thank you for your time. Oh, what did you think about this overall? Well, again, it, it makes a little bit of a mockery of the so-called women's uh, revolution, given that uh, in 1983, it's sort of like history has been painted as uh, women's wrestling was rubbish until 2016. Actually, it wasn't bad. I think it's the best match so far. And I didn't even, I thought the powerbomb was like a, a 90s move, possibly late 80s, but like popping out a powerbomb at the end was like nice one. Yeah, pretty cool. I actually, you know, uh, the, the promo and the, the, the splash spot aside, so far for me, this was the best match on the show. They seem to be wrestling, uh, uh, I know it shouldn't, uh, wrestling changes over the years, but they seem to be wrestling like a faster, almost cruiserweight style because, you know, they are smaller. And so therefore in the rules of wrestling, they can do that. Yeah, either that or they were the first people on the show to be under 50. Well, there is that possibility. (laughs) Um, I also, I've neglected to mention at this point as well, but... At this point in the show, nobody has had any entrance music. So that's another interesting tidbit going before entrance music was a thing. I didn't know whether there was no entrance music or whether they'd use licensed music and they just, the WWE like, sorry, we'll cut it. Well, there's an instance of that later on, but we'll get there soon enough. <laughs> yeah. And then we go to our next contest, which is Dizzy Ed Boulder up against Wahoo McDaniel. So do you recognize Dizzy Ed Boulder? Uh, it took me a second, then I just uh, dizzy boulder. Dear God, is that beefcake? <laughs> no, no, no. Oh, it's beefcake. <laughs> it's the beefcake. We can't, we can't even dodge you in the AWA. You know, proper, proper men's wrestling where men in their fifties do arm bars, and then out comes the booty man, Zodiac. Yes, yes, yes. No. <laughs> the beef. To quote you, the beefcake is back on chat track, Jack. <laughs> beefcake barber. <laughs> oh, I'm I'm dunno whether I'm more shocked that we um got beefcake this early on or the fact that we didn't also get the nasty boys and two or three other cronies on the show as well. Oh god, the beefer. Not only do we have to put up with him because he's Hogan's mate, but this guy has definitely decided he wants to be in New York already because he is ripped in comparison to everyone else. He has been at the table of goodies long before anyone else. If you compare him to anyone else on this card, he looks an absolute monster. And at the end of the day, you then realise that it's Brutus the Barber Beefcake who has one of the worst haircuts in wrestling at that point. (laughs) <laughs> Not bad for wrestling's barber, but I think I think that's part of the charm of of when he gets a barber gimmick, isn't it? That he, he does look terrible. Like no one can ever say that he had a, had a nice haircut. <laughs> now you know the the I don't often watch it. There's a comedy called The Goldbergs, and the uh, the mummy there has got stereotypical eighties kind of hair. I don't know how to describe it because I'm a man and I have no hair. <laughs> uh, uh, but he looks exactly like that. There's far too much product wave and probably hair drying going on with that yes i think you're probably pretty spot on but um it it was it probably took me a few seconds as well and i do i do remember the name because um hulk used a boulder name at some point as well i'm fairly certain so i think he might have been terry boulder and ed boulder way in the early days or something but um yeah 
it is basically the beefcake before he became the beefcake, and he's taking on Wahoo McDaniels, who Gene calls one of the greatest Indians of all time in his pre-match introductions in a line that wouldn't fly today. Uh, no, there's so many things wrong with the way that Gene introduces it. It's like the, it's not even like they use that uh, description anymore. In fact, they've probably changed descriptions two or three times, and even I don't know which one's politically correct. No, not being a native to America, it's one of them um, minefields that you just try and stay out of. We get a, a handshake to start, and yeah, as you were saying, my notes here pretty much reflect what you said about the muscles on him. He is jacked. In that way that you can only get if you've been to the gym, but also had your vitamins. Yes. Um, they do some lockups, and before we've even really got into the contest, the crowd seemed pretty restless on the outside. I don't think they're too up for this one, personally. Wahoo unloads with a chop onto the ripped body of... I keep going to call him Beefcake, but it's Ed Boulder, I suppose. Um, and we get a... Jerry Lawler joining in on commentary for some colour. Very, very early edition of Lawler on colour commentary. Um, don't get too many shouts of puppies at this stage in his career, though. No, no. He's very low-key, actually, I thought. Yeah, I thought he was pretty decent here. Um, Wahoo begins to pound on Ed Boulder in the corner. Um, Lawler, unfortunately, early on, um, his mic breaks within seconds, and it's really awkward listening to them try and fix it on the air, and um, Ron Trongard offering to share his mic somehow, and it's like, it's very much high school drama club stuff here. Talk about Jerry the King Lawler. Congratulations on an excellent victory, Jerry. Uh, this one, uh, it's getting rougher as the time goes on for sure. Yours uh, was of that same variety. We have a microphone problem okay. with uh, Jerry. We will be getting it hooked up here momentarily, and you'll be hearing the comment of Jerry King Lawler. As you see, a test of strength right now in the ring. Our second microphone. Let's see if we can get it hooked up, and you can be hearing the comments of Jerry Lawler. I have a headset on here, and let's see, maybe we can turn it around in somewhere, some way where we can work off of it and... Until they get the problem rectified, Jerry and I can work off the same microphone. Okay, Jerry. Thank you, Rod. Uh, sorry about causing all this problem. I just want to come out here and say, you know, what a pleasure it is to be on this card. It is truly, as you said, a super Sunday. The matches so far have been action-packed. And uh, like you said also, the best is yet to come. This match right now is really heating up, and I felt real fortunate to... Uh, to get a win over over uh, John, the Golden Greek Tolis. Uh, there at one point I thought I thought there was going to be a disqualification in the match there uh, as Tolis hit me with an uppercut and my momentum carried me over the top rope and out of the ring. But of course, uh, you know, I, f I felt fortunate that the referee didn't ring the bell because it wasn't deliberate on Tolis's part. You know, if you, you're going to throw a man over the top rope, that is an automatic disqualification. But I, I felt uh, fortunate that the referee didn't ring the bell because it was my own momentum that carried me over and and uh, he just threw the uppercut and knocked me over. That, that enabled me to get a, a, a pin on the man, and I was feel real fortunate to get that. You didn't want to win the match in that particular manner. There are other ways that you are capable of winning a match, but the hold which you use to win it, the pile driver, has got to be one of the most devastating holds in professional wrestling. It can put a man out of action permanently. Well, I, I, I guess we're, we're spoiled with the production of the WWE, even like its, uh, Survivor Series. Whereas, you know, th this is probably what it was like. This is probably what it was like if you watched, like, football 
or uh, American football or anything else around the world. This is probably what the BBC was like showing the FA Cup in uh, 83. <laughs> yes, and for our American listeners, the FA Cup, that is actual football. No discussion. <laughs> but send your hate to Twitter. Richie wants to hear all about it. <laughs> Wahoo. <Thanks. laughs> Wahoo begins to work on the arm. Um, as I said before, they offer to share the headsets. They go into a bit of a slugfest. Boulder drops a couple of knee drops. Um, Lawler begins to ramble about the disqualification non-finish in his match, and we're still no clearer for what the fuck happened there, so I'm just going to leave it at that. Boulder comes back with a slam and a couple more knee drops. Um, p- tries to pin him with a knee on the throat, which gets a two count, which was a pretty cool spot, I thought. We get a very ugly flare bump in the corner from Wahoo, who lands on his head. He's far too old to be trying this, and then hits a suplex for a one count. A couple of chops, and then he um, rams Ed's head into all four buckles. Terrible Irish whip followed by a chop and an elbow drop for a three count in a very, very shit finish. What did you think about that? I was like, what the hell is this tomahawk bollocks? Because I don't know if it's because of the way the camera is, but it just looks like he like jabs his throat, but it's got no impact or anything else. And then as a rare treat, the worst finish probably, well, I'd say that the least impactful finish of the whole night, we get a slow-mo replay just to show how crap it was. Yeah, yeah, it's like, oh, we found this button. Oh, should we use it now? Uh, no. Uh, the, odd thing I, the odd thing I found is Wahoo McDaniel is supposed to be, like, pretty tough. I think there's something on Twitter only in the past week about, like, running 30 miles and drinking engine oil for a crate of beer. But I, I expected, like, I don't know, to be more Stan Hansen-ish. Yeah, this was very... It was very weak offense from both guys. They didn't look like they'd crack an egg at all through this match. No, it's weird because this is a big. This seems like it should be a big show, and there's even up to this point, there seems to be a lot of people. I don't know if it was just the attitude at the time of uh, you know I'm the wrestler, therefore I do what I want, which has changed now, sort of like 180 degrees. But it just seems a bit uh, like I'll, I'm just going to do this. Yeah, pretty poor stuff. I mean, certainly nothing to write home about. I would not recommend anyone go out of their way to watch this match, even if you're the world's biggest Brutus Beefcake fan. I would like, if anybody is the world's biggest beef fan, that, that's that's a tweet, Twitter, Twitter conversation I'm willing to have. <laughs> if anybody loves Beefcake, like Kyle loves Triple H, please let us know. Nobody loves anybody more than Kyle loves Triple H. <laughs> We then go to our six-man contest. This was probably the match I was looking forward to the most on this show, to be honest. It's Ken Patera, Blackjack Lanza, and Jesse the Body Ventura, managed by Bobby the Brain Heenan, taking on the High Flyers, Greg Garnier and Jumping Jim Brunzel, and a very, very young-looking pre-model Rick Martel. On paper, this just looks uh, like it should be the match of the night, as far as I could tell. I mean, especially just seeing Jesse wrestle, because, you know, that's not something you, you often get. No, you've got to go way back to get some Ventura matches. Um, his career was sadly ended too short for the, the character he was. I would have loved to have seen a hot feud with Ventura just to hear the promos. Yeah, I mean, it was. I mean, he's not bad in the ring, but it's, it's, it's his personality that carries carries him on. Oh, absolutely. We get a weasel chant at Bobby Heenan very early on, so interesting to see that weasel thing's been going a lot longer than I remember it even. And Martel and... Ken Patera start the match, so we get some arm drags from Martel. Patera um, looks a bit like Richard Simmons on a very heavy dose of steroids for anyone that hasn't seen Ken Patera work. His hair is amazing. It's it's a thing of beauty, isn't it? 
what is it? What that episode of The Simpsons where they've got the robot Richard Simmons? It's brilliant. Well, go ahead. Do your worst. My worst, eh? Smithers, release the robotic Richard Simmons. Come on, big boy. Shift the butter up those buns. Come on, come on, girl. Shake, shake, shake. Smithers is out of control. Take him out, sir. Oh yeah, I can't remember. Is it with Mr. Burns? Yeah. I can't remember what 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 it is. But yeah, yeah. I mean, it sounds like I'm obsessed with wrestlers' hairs. It's just that uh, you just can't ignore it when it's in your face like that. Oh, it's a thing of beauty. Um, Martel goes up to work on the arm just for something different before tagging in Jim Brunzel, who goes to work on the arm for something different. Just a little bit of variation, lads. Come on. <laughs> we get an atomic drop, and then Jesse Ventura is tagged into the match, as is Greg Gagne, who goes to work on the arm. Nice. Six-man tag. Think of the possibilities. <laughs> There's 12 arms that can be worked over. <laughs> Oh, man. The heels start a, a bit of a triple team in the corner before tagging in Blackjack Lanza. Martel comes in and hits a drop kick for a two count and goes to work on the arm. <sighs> Jim Brunzel comes in, goes to work on the arm. Patera comes in and hits a big slam for a two count. Thank you, Ken Patera, for breaking up that sequence. Ventura comes in and locks on a bear hug before we get Greg Garnier back in and come to Patera. Then we've got all six in together and Greg Garnier puts a sleeper hold on Lanza before hitting a backdrop. Ventura comes back in and hits an atomic drop for a two count. And then we've got Rick Martel denied a tag by the referee for some good heel heat and Patera locks on a bear hug. Because we haven't had enough holds already. Rod Trongard then comes out with a beautiful line. We don't have to describe what's happening here. You can see for yourself. So, exactly what is he being paid for, then? He's just counting his ones. He's got his, <laughs> he's got his massive cigar and his, his $1 bills, because that's how I feel Vern pays people. <laughs> yeah, it looks a lot, a lot more. Is, is, is his stack of ones. And then, after telling us that line, he immediately begins to describe the action in front of us. So, <laughs> what a waste of time. Commentary cliches wasn't invented by uh, Michael Cole in about 2012. <laughs> Blackjack Lanza comes in, and we get the hot tag to Rick Martel, who comes in, hits a double nogger-nogger, misses a drop kick. Kempatera overshoots on an elbow, but still manages to pick up a two-count. We get a vertical suplex, but we have Brunzel making the save. Ventura comes in, as does then Lanza, then Brunzel. Uh, we get a Beal, a drop kick, a figure four, and all six in brawling. We then get Brunzel nails a drop kick, and goes to the Indian Deathlock, but the heel's put on the distraction, and Kempatera gets a foreign object from Bobby Heenan, Nails um, Brunzel with it. The referee counts a three. Rod Trongard tells us the referee has disqualified everyone, but no, the ring announcer tells us that actually the heel team have won via pinfall, and the faces try and get the referee to check on the foreign object, and this leads to a huge brawl, and Gene Oakland then interviews the whiny faces, talking about how they've been cheated. So, got to say, whistle time, 17.03. The winners, the team of Lanza, Patera, and Ventura.
All right, just a second. How do you explain that? He just, he hit, I've been hit a lot of times with, with a forearm and a fist, but that right. was something he had, had something in his hands. All right, the contention. He hit him with something. First lands, I had something. He said Patera hit him with something. What kind of a win is that? All right, the contention of the High Flyers and Ricky Martel that there was a foreign object involved. Everybody saw it. Replay on that one. They've got a replay. He hit me with something. Well, I'm sure that, that Rod Trungard has the replay, and the fans will have an opportunity to see it. Like it or not, your winner, 1703. We thank you very much. Stay tuned. More action will be continuing. Thank a lot of tags in and out with not many moves, but I still found this pretty interesting just because of some of the names involved and getting to go back and watch them. And as far as action goes, other than possibly the women's tag, it's still probably the best match of the card so far. Yeah, it was all right. I mean, it was a schmoz ending, but other than that, I mean, given what we've had before, this was like a Matt classic. <laughs> yeah. Good heel, um, victory as well with Heenan he was already like he had so much heat before the match but to hand the foreign object off to Patera behind the referee's back the crowd absolutely hated him what a, what a heel he was oh it's just genius and it, it does actually go somewhere like it feels like he's going somewhere I didn't particularly like the wow 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 face uh, interview I think I think you should have a little bit more like I was screwed and I'm coming to get you but I don't really know what their characters were like so maybe they were whiny yeah, possibly. Um, but yeah, it, uh, decent contest here. Nothing too bad. But we then go to what most people ha really had paid to see. And that's the incredible Hulk Hogan challenging Nick Bockwinkle for the AWA World Heavyweight title. So Hogan was well and truly in the midst of his um, record-breaking chase of the title here with people flocking to see it and desperate to see the title win. And Hogan, of course, being the star of the day, was the only person here to come in with entrance music. It's dubbed over on the network, but it is actually Eye of the Tiger um, playing off the, you know, his newfound fame from starring in Rocky Three. I mean, even when he comes out, he's, he's already like, I don't know, like 100% more interesting than most of the people that have come out before him. He, 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 at the time, like when he, when he started in like the eighties and he's making that rise, he just, he gets it. He knows what he needs to do to, to get the crowd. When Hogan comes out, it's almost as though the whole show has been in black and white and he turns on the color. Like it's just something so different to everyone else. So electric, so big, so popular that he just burst onto the screen and like the whole building seemed to lift when he walked out. Yeah, it's like he looked around and saw what popular culture was like, or was kind of, I guess, I mean, it seems weird calling Hulk Hogan sort of like relevant, but he was probably living at that time in the 80s. And it was a colourful, like, time. And then you've got, like, the guys who came up before who were obviously 70s wrestlers who don't, who are still clinging to the past, I think. Like, where Hulk Hogan is Poison and Motley Crew. I can't believe I've just said that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and, and, and like Wahoo McDaniel is like, I don't know, Led Zeppelin or, you know, something that was a decade before. Yeah, absolutely. You've probably hit the nail on the head with that analogy, to be honest. We get told the referee is Lord Blears and he'll take no nonsense. He just looks like another old guy to me, but I'm sure that's got some relevance to older listeners. Hogan is in Buckwinkle's face before the match and the crowd are absolutely going electric. Um, Gene does some introductions in the ring. We get introduced to the 
uh, kayfabe president of the AWA, Wally Carbo, and he gets booed by the crowd, which is quite funny. <laughs> we get told there's a, a judge at ringside, Stan Blackburn, and he gets booed as well. Well, I think the crowd are already... If, if they've seen matches before this of these two, they know what's coming. The minute they... The minute... It, what is it? Is it Chekhov's gun? The minute you introduce something that's out of the norm into a storyline means that it will be used in the storyline. So no match has had anyone else involved up till this point. And then they go, well, here's a referee. He's got a name. There's the president. He's got a name. Oh, and there's a judge. He's there as well. And it's like, well, I smell some bullshit. Yeah, it's, it's really, um, I, I think they're in no mood for any outside bullshit. They really want this title to change hands. Interesting as well. I, we talk about the early origins of entrance music. After the introductions, they give another quick play of Hogan's entrance music, which is something that certainly wouldn't stand the test of time, but funny to see the way they tried to play with it a bit back then. Yeah, it's over while Gene's introducing him, isn't it? Yeah, it's just very strange. We get a huge Hulk Hogan chant from the crowd, um, just Hulk, 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 while the referee's giving the instructions in the ring, a la a big boxing main event. It certainly got a big match feel. Mm. And Bockwinkle, carrying on the tradition of house show stalling, as soon as the bell goes, takes a powder, gets back in the ring, and immediately takes another powder before there's any moves. This is the one match where you could accept that because the crowd is so electric, they're going to boo the shit out of him. But coming on the back of a lot of stalling and slow matches previously on the night, it sure does just really suck some of the enjoyment out of the wrestling here for me. Yeah, you just, you just want to to get on with it or at least stall you know do that thing where he goes in gets beaten down by Hogan and then starts to stall just makes more of a storyline I think yeah and then we get my dick move of the week Rod Trongard on commentary says Bockwinkle has demanded such a fee for this match the highest fee ever paid in professional wrestling that the AWA had no choice but to raise ticket prices to pay him in other words, we've charged people a whole bunch more on the thinking that they're going to finally see Hogan win the title and we're going to cash in on it. And we're announcing that we're going to put all the heat on Bockwinkle so that we don't look bad. What an absolute dick thing to do. Uh, well, I mean, my dick move of the week won't surprise you is around the end of this match. I missed that line of commentary. But yeah, what? it's just carny. It, I, it just, ooh, it gets me angry because they, they moan about how Vince comes along and destroys the territory, and they're pulling this crap while Vince is in uh, New York going, I've had an idea, I'm going to nationalise. It's unbelievable. I mean, I'm trying to think of some other form of entertainment where you could draw some sort of comparison where it's almost implied that you're going to get the payoff that they don't want to give you, and they still charge you more, and then not give it to you as well. It's like any other company that pulled shit like this would just be out of business in no time, and I, I guess that's why these guys were, but I just couldn't believe it. Generally, you get uh, yeah. Usually, there is a payoff uh, in the WWE. I think in the WWF. I think that's probably what they. I, I think as we go on, that's what we'll see more in the timeline. Is sooner or later they give a payoff, whereas everything else we've reviewed, who's been going up against the WWF, just drag it out, drag it out, drag it out for more money and kill it because they've got no forward thinking. Yeah. Uh, you can see why all these territories died one by one. So when the match does get started, we've got Bockwinkle really working a side headlock for a while. Hogan comes back with a shoulder block, and that's Bockwinkle's cue to take a powder again. When he comes back in, he hits a couple of knees before Hogan fires back with a couple of knees of his own, and then a double stomp and a backbreaker for a two count, and Bockwinkle locks in a front face lock. 
He hits a knee lift for a two count uh, before Hogan comes back with some punches, uh, gets a two count out of that, a clothesline and an elbow drop also for a two count. He hits a shoulder block for a two count and then the two of them exchange punches. Hogan hits another knee lift and a power slam for a two count, but misses his big leg drop, allowing Bockwinkle to pound on him in the corner. So we're getting a decent run of action here finally. Oh, see, once he gets started, I mean, again, given the Hulk is never going to be Eddie Guerrero, when he goes, he's pretty entertaining to watch. Although, again, I'm assuming he's face because he always seems to wrestle as a heel. Yeah, he does. Um, That's been a Hogan thing for years. He then, in an awkward move, Irish whips Bockwinkle, and when he comes out, hits him with a big boot to the gut. So a little bit of a, it just didn't look too smooth there. Hits a running elbow, and then an elbow drop, or as Rod tells us, an elbow smash for a two count. And we get boos on the count of two. Uh, they're really wanting this title to change here. Bockwinkle locks in a sleeper hold. Hogan then flips him off, like sort of pulls him over out of the sleeper onto the referee and instantly you know what's coming and the crowd are not impressed with that spot one bit. He locks in a sleeper hold again and then Hogan just for added effect runs him into the corner where the referee is still recovering and smashes the ref in the corner to absolutely nuclear heat from the crowd. We get another sleeper and then Hogan runs and throws him over the top rope, suplexes him back into the ring, hits him with a leg drop and we get a three count to a enormous pop like for 1983 and for not the WWF or anything like that this is it's just an incredible pop from the crowd they have finally gotten what they've been willing to pay the extra ticket price money to see oh the crowd go wild they even is that a, it's like a, again Austin always says if he could go back and swap his fate his heel turn at Wrestlemania 17 he would have called an audible somebody should have called an audible and just gone Fuck it. Um, Unfortunately, that's not what happens. We get a second referee coming out to talk to Gene Oakland. Um, Heenan's arguing with them as well. Gene then announces that we've got a disqualification and is instantly pelted with rubbish a la Bash at the Beach 1996. And 1983, a bullshit chant. It's just brilliant. Hogan, of course, to get his heat back, gets the title belt and nails Heenan and Bockwinkle, tosses them out. And this is, again, like, I've got to say, it's another dick move of the week for me, which I'm assuming is your dick move for the week as well. Oh, yeah, I've got Vern. That is where you destroy your country, uh, company. Bullshit, chance. And it is bullshit. Total bullshit. I feel cheated 34 years later. Just, oh, my God. What a absolute disaster that was. He canceled the show in St. Paul, and he doubled the ticket prices and moved the show back a month. Hmm. And he brought Stanley Blackburn in, the president of the AWA, and it was me against Bockwinkle for the belt. And Vern came back in the dressing room. You know, I was sitting in the dressing room with Brunzel and Greg and all the guys. I had my you know, cool Miller lights there, you know, and <laughs> we're getting ready to go to the ring and go 30-plus with Bockwinkle and have a blast. And Vern goes, you're taking the belt tonight. Hmm. I'm going, okay, fine. That's awesome. Because hmm. he had this thing so bullet. I never could win the belt. Never could win the belt. Never could win the belt. Right. So he goes, tonight you're taking the belt. He goes, well, I'm getting half your Japan deal. I said, no, you're not. Hmm. And then he goes, yeah, I am. You're taking the belt. And there's more to the story than that. He was trying to sure. hook me up with his daughter. Oh. He wanted me to come over and have dinner at the house with Kathy Ganya. And he wanted me to see his daughter. And Kathy had this awesome, crazy, great body. But her face looked just like Greg. You know, I just couldn't. Couldn't handle it, you know. 
And so there was all these things building up, you know, I wouldn't go over to the house for dinner and he wanted me to take the belt. And then at the end of the, at the end of the day in the dressing room, you know, as I'm sitting there drinking a Miller Lite, getting ready to go to the ring, he's going, I'm getting half your pants. I said, no. Yeah. And so I said, no. And, and it, it was just a major blow up. So I guess Vernon had this whole finish laid out where I was going to beat Bockle into the celebration. He brought Stanley Blackburn and made all there. the fans think the belt was going to change hands. And it just went all downhill. It I never got, happened. No, I got in the ring with Bockwinkle, and me and him got in a little pissing contest in the ring. He kept, he kept punching me in it right under the Sternum. storm. And he would hit me where it knocked my wind out, man. Mm-hmm. You know, and I couldn't. I said, I said, you know, knock it off, Bockwinkle. I said, bro, I can't get up. He, he kept that belly shot. I mean, but it was a shoot. About the second time he did it, I said, brother. You know, you need to knock it off. He, he did it again, and I just picked him up, and I clocked him with everything I had right behind the head, and we were supposed to go to the finish. He couldn't remember how to put the sleeper on. <laughs> if you watch the tape, he, does, he can't remember how to put the do. sleeper on. No. <laughs> you know, so we, the whole finish was screwed up and everything. It was an abortion. But... To, to make it even worse, the next person to come out is the fucking Booker. <laughs> In the main event against two people I have, Hit no, literally nothing about just to come out and go look at me. I've come out of retirement. Nobody cares, Vern. Nobody cares. <laughs> I tell a lie. It's Jerry Blackwell. I think I was thinking of Stanley Blackburn from the official from the previous match. Um, so it's. <laughs> I, I think I must have been in the same boat writing my notes here. Just fuck off. I can't believe I've got to sit. I, I, I remember tweeting you several times thinking I've got to watch this main event. I've got to watch this main event. I've got to watch Vern Garnier. Fuck, kill me now. <laughs> You know what? Again, in his day, he might have been great. The chances of me ever watching that footage is low. But at this point, after that main event, he puts himself... I know it wasn't traditional necessarily to put the the biggest match at the end, but he obviously has done bullshit. <laughs> and so it is, a, it is actually Vern teaming with Mad Dog for Sean as well, in case we haven't gotten that point across in our ranting here. Um Oh, Vern Garnier, of course, gets entrance music as well because, you know, he's on a similar level to Hulk Hogan. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's what you think. Even when he comes out, it's like, he looks like a... He looks like... A, I, don't, I can't even come up with a good description to describe what Vern Garnier looks like at this point, but it's not superstar wrestler in 1980s. It's bald old man with this sort of wrinkle spots on his head is what it is. It's like just would you build him in a WWE 2K17 or 18 when that comes out? Is anybody going to build the core for Vern Garnier? <laughs> no. Oh my god! Uh, imagine, imagine an AWA wrestling game. <laughs> just be arm bars. <laughs> I mean, to, to, there, there would be someone who would pay for the AWA invasion angle in WWE 2K. 80. You can have WWE 2K 80s. I've just made the WWE millions of dollars. Take your wrestling engine, put all these companies you are now own the rights, certain rights for, and then just do that game. It'll sell what? It'll sell hot millions. The AWA arcade game where when you get the high score and celebrate and go to walk out of the arcade, it starts buzzing loudly, and when you turn around, it announces that you were actually disqualified five minutes ago and wipes your name off the leaderboard. <laughs> <laughs> And then it replaces it with. <laughs> oh my god! We get some um, 
weird stalling before this match starts with the faces just commanding the ring and the heels cowering from, from ringside. Then we get the introductions before we do get started as Jerry Blackwell and Vern Gagne. Um, and Vern Gagne's unloading with his old man offense here, which is quite weak and pitiful. Um, we get a backdrop on a very huge Jerry Blackwell. He's a big man for a two count. We get some punches. Then Mad Dog comes in and hits a double stomp and pounds on Jerry Blackwell while the referee explains uh, the call on commentary, the referee from the previous match, um, saying, let's talk about the fact that he's got cracked ribs. So from the the Hogan bump in the corner, I don't think that's going to get him any sympathy from anyone. They should have just not bothered with this whatsoever. No, no. At this point, I would have gladly kicked him in the ribs. um, He says that he he can't talk much because of that, yet then goes on a long tirade and doesn't shut up or pause for breath. Now, for a man with uh, cracked ribs, he's doing well. Including the absolute gem of it takes a lot of practice. A lot of practice goes into counting for three seconds. Yeah, uh, shame he didn't use it. <laughs> it's just absolute shite, and the commentary is even worse. Um, Blackwell tags in the Sheik. Mad Dog comes in and grabs his face. Um, hits a back rake, and then the Sheik nails him with his cast. They go to outside for a brawl. Mad Dog tosses in a microphone, so Sheik hits him with it. Um, throws in a chair, so Sheik hits him with it. Fern Garnier gets in and hits both the heels. Mad Dog juices on the floor um, from a bit of a weak shot. We have a bit of a slugfest. Jerry Blackwell hits a slam for a two count. The Sheik comes in and locks on an abdominal stretch. And Vern and Jerry Blackwell come in. And the oh, I get he's begging off for Vern. Blackwell hits a slam for a two count but misses a splash. Then misses an avalanche. Vern locks in a sleeper. And the referee is distracted with the Mad Dog. The Sheik tries to use a cast. Uh, but Mad Dog puts it into uh, Jerry Blackwell, rips his cast off. Vern hits a slam for a two. We get a double team. Uh, Vern off the second ropes onto the arm to pick up the one, two, three in a truly awful, awful main event. Oh, God. It was just horrendous. It's one of the few times where I've, I've accidentally paused the network and it's like you've got five minutes left for an entire main event. I've been like, bonus. <laughs> it was just complete shit. I mean, the, the crowd seems to be into it, but it's just super Garnier. Pretty much. Um, we then get a nonsensical promo from the two faces as well to end the show, and this is something. There was just no one clamoring for this, so that wraps us up in the AWA. It's been an interesting journey to Minnesota to see what they've got going on, but um, not for me. I can see why the WWF became so popular, and, you know, I've often sort of admitted to my bias towards the WWF over WCW. There's no way in the world AWA would have got two watches out of me. Uh, no, I'm, I'm worried about uh, having to pick another show later on down the line involving the AWA because I know it, it gets worse. That's that's the that's possibly the pinnacle on the network of, of, of that, unless somebody else knows better. If somebody on Twitter can point me to a good AWA show, I will watch it. So... This will um, hopefully be the only 1983 we do, though. We are going to skip to 1984 next, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not putting us through that pain. <laughs> the quicker we get to um, WrestleMania era, the happier I'll be. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't. I, th- I think we've only got one. Sort of like in '84. When's WrestleMania start? '85. Yeah, '85. Eighty-five. So eighty-four. I'm sure we can try find another company that runs something. I think uh, WCCW's got something like Parade of Champions, but I'm not sure if it's on the network. Oh, we'll find out. But for now, we're heading back to the WWF. So familiar t- um, feeling, Madison Square Garden for the WWF house show. 
which the network tells us will be presented in its most complete form possible due to recording of the day. Um, and are you ready to head over there and get started? Yes, sir. We promised you a great main event here tonight. I wrote in my notes here at the start, what a slick entrance for the time before it flashed through and there was a lot of things that happened after this and I realized it had been added in post, post, post production probably for the WWF Classic Channel a couple of years back rather than back at the time. So I'm not going to give them a production point for that. Um, We then get uh, an announcement from the Finkel saying, welcome to today's professional wrestling in the garden. So interesting there. And we get a national anthem. So... Uh, a bit of a, a weird start to a, a house show. I wonder if this was the, the common way they did all the MSG shows at the time, but certainly felt like a big deal. Yeah, it's, I love the thing calling it professional wrestling. The, I think it was Battleground. JBL called it a sports entertainment ring, I think. And I, I think a little part of me actually died. <laughs> I um, Yeah, I just... I find it baffling now. It's become such a big deal in later years. When I go back and watch stuff from the mid-90s and hear them saying sports entertainment, particularly wrestlers saying it, I don't recall that being a thing in the late 90s. So that, that's certainly funny to go back and see. Yeah. We've got Gorilla Monsoon on his lonesome for commentary here. So um, certainly better than Rod Trongard and gives me good flashback memories. So, you know, a bit of bias there, but I don't care. I love the Gorilla. Oh, he's definitely more interested, more animated. His commentary is amazing, even when he's just talking gibberish. Love him. And we go to the opening contest. Baron Mikel Saluna up against Mac Riviera. Um, from what I gathered early on, Mac Riviera is a babyface and Sakluna is the heel. So two guys I know absolutely nothing about, never heard of, never seen before. What about you? Well, I miss their names and I couldn't be bothered rewinding, so I've got Maltese Day versus Mac Risotto. <laughs> And that's that's about that's about all I know about. Except Maltese Dave's knees are that bad; they're pulling faces. At <laughs> I me. thought I had you pegged for a big Mac Riviera fan. Oh yeah, I have the t-shirt. <laughs> it's still got to be better than Mark Savio Vega t-shirt. <laughs> Just it's like it skips, and you're like, yes, yeah, it did skip ahead, didn't it? Before anything had happened, and we've got Baron in control, unloads with a head scissors, a choke, and some strikes. And I rake um, very safe, dull offense, as was the style at the time. <laughs> I've been watching too much Simpsons today. <laughs> um, we then get some punches from Mac Riviera, uh, does no actual moves, and begins to work over the arm. It's, it's spreading like wildfire. It's, it's like a virus. <laughs> we get some kicks and punches from the Baron, some punches from Mac, and Gorilla Monsoon tells us, don't go anywhere because we do have the amazing midgets. Um, never saw that on the show or during the um, breakdown of the show I read read about later. So I'm not sure what's he, what he's referring to there. Uh, maybe it was something to be played on TV on the next show or something. But yeah, that's another thing you wouldn't hear in this day and age. No, not at all. Uh, if uh, Rod was sat counting his money with a big cigar. I like to think of uh, Gorilla sat there with a nice, fine scotch. <laughs> well, he does always wear the, the smoker's jackets as well, Gorilla Monsoon, so maybe he's got the cigar on the go too. Yeah, I, I think he's possibly possibly chaining it or he's got a pipe. <laughs> yeah, Monsoon, Gorilla Monsoon in his pipe. <laughs> Ordered myself a Gorilla Monsoon action figure to go with my playset going on here. 
uh, yesterday. So that'll be added to the announce table in my household soon enough. So who makes the announce table? Gorilla? I've got to have interchangeable ones for different eras, but I think it's going to be Gorilla and Bobby for the 80s. Well, I mean, you don't want uh, split time zones. You don't want to like have Gorilla with JR. That would just be crazy. No, absolutely not. Although 1993, maybe there could be... A, I think, actually, you say that. I think they might have done some radio WWF pay-per-views together in the early 90s. Not many, but I'm, I'm certain there was at least one pay-per-view where they called it together. Quite possibly. Um, getting back to this match here, though, it's very slow. Just kicks and punches, and none of them have got any impact. Uh, we skip ahead again, and yes, result. That's less of the match we have to watch. Um, Baron's punching and kicking some more, and then we get a very old-looking hip toss, a sunset flip from Mac Riviera. Um, he gets an arm up on a big boot, but we still count the three, um, which means the, m- the match ends with really his one move of the match, so... There was, this was nothing to write home about. It was hard to even recount it on my notes here because I must have fallen asleep watching this. It was pretty tiresome. Well, we were watching this on a Friday night and it uh, got the new segment of Barney's Bullshit Bingo where my wife points out that this match was bullshit. <laughs> this, match was, I, this match was actually that bad. I turned it off, watched Traffic Cops, and we stayed up until 3 in the morning drinking whiskey, watching 90s greatest hits on... Uh, whatever music channel it was. That's how bad it was. I woke up on Saturday feeling like death, and I blame Maltese Dave and Max Risotto. <laughs> My hallway didn't get painted because of those two chums. <laughs> oh, that's brilliant. <laughs> oh, that's a fine rant if I've ever heard one. And 90s greatest hits as well. Oh, man. Would have had some Spice Girls, some Backstreet Boys. That, that sounds like a party I'd be willing to go to. Pretty much. And even they had Meatloaf so I'll do anything for love and cut some bit oh. out. Some of it out. And I was still less annoyed about that than this match. <laughs> oh, that's brilliant. Uh, moving right along then, we go to Tony Greer up against the unpredictable Johnny Rods. So um now, I, I believe I believe you'd been on the mojitos at this point. I had, yes. I um went out for a teppanyaki dinner for my mother's birthday, so had all different kinds of meat, very delicious, and several cocktails. So we went, just about went through the cocktail menu. So I come home pretty well trashed and jump back into the show. I had a white wine spritzer because of rock and roll like that. I was also banished. I was also banished to the laptop as punishment, which I can't exactly argue with. Oh, I don't try and make my wife watch any of this. Um, although I'm currently watching WrestleMania 26, maybe, for the next TNA WWE show with Duncan, and I did manage to get my wife and daughters to watch the Money in the Bank ladder match with me, and they seemed to enjoy the car crash element of that, so there was a win. Yeah, I mean, I, I think there's a, there's, a, there's a bullshit limit, uh, and some of this earlier stuff crashed spectacularly over that. Fair enough. So, Gurria and Rods get started. Um, Gorilla Monsoon tells us Tony Gurria is a five-time tag team champion, so that's interesting. Um, and a bit of push and shove from the, while their referee's giving his instructions. And then Johnny Rods powders to the outside. Tony Gurria is absolutely jacked him. Any of you that know him will probably know him as like a um, nameless suited official that runs down for breakup brawls in the 90s. But here, he was a bit of a mountain of a man. But he looks slightly more natural than, say, uh, the beef. Yeah, he's very much meat and potatoes weightlifting kind of body, whereas Beefcake just looked like he'd been, you know blown up like a balloon. Yeah, this lad's, you know, he's been in the gym, but as it was in the 80s, he's then popped out and he's had like a crate of Budweiser. Yeah, still hairy as well, not shaved and tanned. 
No, he's just he's just like I've I've lift weights, but that's it. I'm not going any further. <laughs> They exchange punches, and um, this is a lot quicker than the previous match, and the crowd definitely seems to be more into it. Um, Johnny Rods hits a boot off the second rope, then a choke and some stomps. He locks on a dreaded nerve hold, works over an arm bar, then hits a knee lift but misses a splash. Tony Greer hits a pair of shoulder blocks, followed by an arm drag and an arm bar of his own. A leap, a leap frog, even, followed by an arm drag and another arm bar. And Rods hits a big fist, uh, then comes off the second rope with a leg drop for a two count, hits a forearm for a two count. And um, Gorilla Monsoon's calling the referee all sorts of names here. I'm not really sure what the heat comes from, but he's all over him. He's not happy with that ref. He says something like, oh, um, I'd be better off getting in there and doing this job myself or something. He just rips the referee to shreds. Obviously, he's there without a whiskey. <laughs> Tony Greer hits a slam and then a splash, but eats some knees on the splash. This allows uh, Rods to pick up a two count before Greer comes back with a drop kick to the back. Gets caught in the ropes and an atomic drop for a two count. And we get a roll up for the one, two, three. Tony Greer picking up the victory over Johnny Rods. So this was a lot better than the previous match. Well, it did cause me to go back, going to work the next day with a stinking hangover. So it's already winning against the other one. Absolutely. And then we go to a match I was very much looking forward to, um, slightly less so once they walked out, but it's superstar Billy Graham with the Grand Wizard, who Gorilla Monsoon in one of his classic lines tells us is a fountain of misinformation, taking on Jules Strongbow. Now, the reason for this, much like Jesse Ventura earlier, that I was so looking forward to it was a chance to see superstar Billy Graham, someone I don't see wrestle very often. And my immediate lessening of that enthusiasm was when I realized he was in his later karate gimmick. So I decided I'll just give another run, but I'm not going to come back as the superstar Billy Graham. And uh, I changed my, uh, my attire, my look, to a karate gimmick look. Out of, really out of... Um, was karate popular at the time? No, not at all. It was, it was, it was, it was a rebellion position on my part that I'm not going to come back as the superstar Billy Graham. I'm going to come back as another character because I don't even care because it was really a miscarriage of justice, even though it was business and I knew it was coming and I agreed to it and everything like that. And I, you know, but I said, I, it just wasn't right. It was a bad decision to make Backlund champion when I was so hot, red hot that he should have at least stressed it out a little bit longer and or even put Backlund on the shelf for a bit to get we were drawing real money. Yeah. Big sellouts, turning turning people away. I mean, from a promoter standpoint, I thought this is ludicrous to just walk away from that. The superstar Billy Graham name was so strong that it still did set off business. Even though a lot of people and a lot of fans didn't believe it was really the superstar Billy Graham with the blonde hair and the tie-dye. They didn't believe it was the same person. And, uh, but enough of them did believe that the name was so strong that it drew and it did sell out. And I, I, I wasn't sure if this was pre- or post-Steinerized uh, superstar Billy Graham. Very much post, and you can see the effects that steroid juice had had on him here because he looked old. Yeah, he, he doesn't look great. In fact, I think Gorilla mentions how much weight he's lost. 80 pounds, he reckons, Gorilla reckons he's lost. It just looks it looks like the opposite of the uh, beef of Baloo. He looks like he's been Absolutely. popped. Absolutely. He looks awful. 
<clears throat> and before the match, he takes a powder, so he's very much playing the heel here. Speaking of um, people looking awful, the referee looks just like uh, Donald Trump. Oh, Mr. <laughs> um, the Wizards sent back to the backstage area as well because apparently managers are not allowed to hang around at ringside, so that was interesting. I, it, it seems like they would have that all the time, especially with heel managers. Did you see, as he walks into the backstage area, who he passed at the corridor? I think I did, but I can't remember. Andre the Giant just hanging out, chilling at the doorway. I, I like to think that Andre's done his business for the day, and then he's uh, he's just got his crate of beer to put him on until he goes out to do some drinking. I'd like to think so. Um, Strongbow comes back with some chops. Gorilla Monsoon uh, is talking a lot about the weight loss of Billy Graham, as you mentioned earlier, and he has now got a hideous body, as we mentioned as well. Uh, Strong, Strongbow locks in a wrist lock and then works it over for a while, hits an axe handle, and then another wrist lock, and then we get some wrist locks uh, exchanged between the two of them. Um, we um, we ended up with it. I think my note here says we end up with about 16 wrist locks, and if we didn't already have the hammerlock scale, then we'd be getting a wrist lock scale after this one. It was getting very close. My God. We get a missed corner charge, and then Billy Graham comes back with some strikes and tosses him out the ring. Some chokes and some hair pulling, um, a lot like a backstage fight between Bret Hart and Shawn Michaels. Strongbow hits some chops in a dance, and the crowd are pretty hot for all of this as well. We then get a, a sleeper hold, and the crowd erupt like crazy. Uh, it, the an ovation like Hogan slamming Andre for a simple sleeper hold there, which was pretty cool. And... Billy Graham then, off the run, charge from the ropes, hits a open hand chop to Jules Strongbow, picks up the one, two, three. Gorilla Monsoon goes absolutely ballistic on commentary, talking about how it was an illegal strike to the throat. And I guess that's the extent of superstar Billy Graham's years of training in the Middle East, uh, sorry, the Far East for uh, his martial arts black belt is he can now do an open hand thrust to the throat. It's even worse is he can open hand flub something near somebody's neck. <laughs> He's got the karate gimmick and he does zero karate moves during the match. It's like uh, Alistair Black in NXT. The guy obviously knows how to kickbox and martial arts. So he can use it in a safe manner, but it looks realistic. What, what Billy Graham went is, I've dropped some weight. What do I fancy doing? I'll just put some karate moves into my, my repertoire, but then I'm not going to bother learning them. <laughs> Uh, yeah, pretty much. You could get away with so much more in the 80s. Yeah, uh, I'm now this, and then that that, that, that would define you. Right. We then go back to Mel Phillips interviewing uh, Billy Graham and the Grand Wizard, so pre-Mel uh, the Mel Phillips controversy and leaving the WWF. Read up about that one if you've not heard. And we go into our next contest. Um, actually, no, we go to our second backstage interview, which is a very, very young Vince McMahon with Salvatore Belomo. Vince doesn't change, does he? No, I think his hair just gets slightly greyer and less thick. Yeah, it's like... You, you could recognise it. He must be like on, and he came out looking like Vince McMahon. <laughs> uh, yeah, pretty much. From there, we go to Salvatore taking on Ray Stevens. So... Ray Stevens, a big name from, I believe, the West Coast. Um, I was about to say West Coast rap scene. It's obviously not from the West Coast rap scene. From uh, West over in the West Coast wrestling, I think had a legendary feud with Pat Patterson, I believe. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, he's a he's kind of one of those those biggish names that 
you don't really know. If yeah, absolutely. There's a lot of names, I guess, from pre the really televised wrestling era and pre our era of wrestling as well that you hear about them a lot, but you don't see them very often. So uh, similar to a Billy Graham and a Jesse Ventura, um, they became personalities in the Fed later on. But these are guys you always hear about, but never really see their matches. Yeah, we get an exchange of punches and then a drop kick from Sal, a headlock takedown, and Stevens comes back with a slam, but eats a slam of from Sal as well. We get a bit of a headlock spot, and then we skip ahead some more, and we're exchanging drop kicks later in the match. Sal locks on another headlock before Ray works over the arms, and then we get a bit of a hug fest on the a slug fest on the apron. Sorry, I can't read my own writing. Definitely not a hug fest on the apron. Um, Ray Stevens attempts a pile driver on the apron, but gets backdropped into the ring. We get a bell, and we're told that while they're on the apron fighting, there was a double count out. So that was a bit of a weird finish. I mean. The way I'm trained, you're only counted out when you're on the floor. But, I mean, you are outside the ring, so I guess it makes sense, but it was Definitely weird. a weird finish. Um, and then, back in the ring, Ray Stevens goes to jump Salvatore from behind, but he catches him out and hits him with a drop kick, and that ends the physicality between these two. We go backstage, and this was pretty cool. Vince McMahon interviewing Don Morocco. With us now, the magnificent Morocco, no doubt. The individual has given Bob Backlund more problems than any one pro wrestler to ever meet. The champion here in Madison Square Garden, but this could very well be in the no-holes-barred type of event. More your type of a match. Champion versus champion. This time, see, Bob Backlund can't cry. He can't get mad. He can't slap the referee. He can't do nothing silly. All it is now, all it is now is right down the guts right down to heart who how long how much pain we're gonna do it because Backlund can do it i've been with him for hours but he's been with me for hours i think right now he might be a little bit nervous seemed to have lost his cool after the last event here in madison square garden well you see it's not often a world champion is beaten by another champion it's not often Bad Backlund's beaten. It's not often that he gets a cross-faced chicken wing on somebody and he don't you hear him yell and scream and beg for mercy, you see. But me, I never give up. <laughs> Thank you for joining us, the Magnificent Morocco. I actually quite like Yeah, this. best one of either show, I think, for me. Yeah, he's got a bit, bit of that. Yeah, it gets better as he goes on, but this is still fairly decent. And the talk is really all about him challenging for Bob Backlund's World Heavyweight title. Morocco is the current reigning Intercontinental Champion, but that title won't be on the line. And we're told that by the Fink in the introductions, this is going to be a Texas death match. I, I was looking forward to a Texas death match. One thing I always liked, and I still and they miss out, I like the idea of the Intercontinental Champion being the, the, the natural number one contender. I think it. It's, I just think it makes it more interesting. Very, it's a very WCW thing that the US champion was always the number one contender until later years in WCW. Yeah, I just. I think. I think. It, it, I mean, I think it's just because they like to overcomplicate. They like storylines every time. It's like you know what? You, you could just wrestle for a belt, win the championship. You know, it's quite a big prize. I'm down with that. And the crowd have got big heat for Morocco early on. Um, we get some headlock spots and some exchanging of forearms. Um, and we get another brilliant um, counting of the headlock grinds in this match as well. And my note just says, how fucking dumb is that move? God, it annoys me. 
they worked this headlock for ages as well before Morocco finally comes out of it with a backbreaker. Uh, but even in the backbreaker, Backlund does not let go of the headlock. Oh, I've got, it's still a fucking headlock. Why is this a headlock? There's a headlock. Why is there a headlock? It's a headlock again. Why are the crowd popping like Foley through a table? <laughs> I, I honestly, every time, I was, I was like watching it typing notes and I usually miss something and I have to rewind or whatever. And I, I just looked up and it's like, they're still in a headlock. I don't even think they've got out of the headlock and gone into another headlock. It's supposed to be a te- Texas death match. They're doing headlocks. So eventually Morocco does get out of the headlock and this allows Bob Backlund to put on a headlock. Oh, I mean, Morocco, he just stands there doing less than me at a vegetarian buffet. He just, he just doesn't do anything. <laughs> when he finally does get out of the headlock, he hits a drop kick, climbs to the top rope and he gets caught up top, but not like Ric Flair wouldn't hit with a press slam. Bob Backlund grabs a hold of him and puts on a headlock. Right, this is a Texas death match. Can you imagine what Terry Funk is saying if he's watching this? <laughs> Morocco comes back with a slam. Bob Backlund rolls through it, picks up a two count. Backlund hits a slam of his own and head fucking lock. <laughs> just just when you think it's, it's getting started, you know, we're going to go for it. We're going to have like a mad 10 minutes. In comes the headlock. And the crowd are loving it. This is the thing I don't understand. The crowd aren't standing up. They're not yelling boring. They're just into it. I don't it. get it. We do finally get something worthy of a bit of heat, and Morocco hits a low blow, followed by a Vader bomb for a two count, and then they brawl around. around oh, blah, blah, blah. They brawl along. I still can't get it. They brawl around the outside, for fuck's sake. Just put on another headlock and spare me the pain. Oh, oh yeah, back into headlock, because they're probably knackered needing that... Uh... Yeah, that rest Gorilla Monsoon then begins to admonish the referee um, for stopping one of the moves here. Um, I think it was, the, yeah, Backlund's on the outside and Morocco goes up top and the referee stops him. And Gorilla Monsoon has a go at him, including the line, if I were Don Morocco, I would have decked that referee by now. <laughs> Fucking hell, Gorilla, calm down. It's like he's playing both face and heel commentator at the same time. It's really <laughs> odd. He, he hates refs. I think maybe um, these refs are getting in the way of his son getting the referee gig he gets in later years and he's trying to get them out or something. It's quite possible. Um, anyway, from there we get some more brawling. Uh, Morocco gets busted open somehow from one of those headlocks, I can only assume. Uh, Backlund then hits some big punches and The Rock comes back with a power slam for a two count. A uh, couple of knees, goes up top and gets caught again. Bob Backlund gets up on, um, gets him up on his shoulder for an over-the-shoulder backbreaker. Uh, Morocco gets down, but Backlund flips over him with a pin and a bridge. Um, that gets him a two count. But Bob Backlund then hits a German suplex for the one, two, the three. And as you mentioned earlier, the crowd goes absolutely mental for Bob Backlund. Oh, they, they blow the, the roof off. It's not It's not even like a little, well done, it's the end of the night, we can go home. This is like, yeah, Bob, won the Texas death match with a suplex. Yep, that's what it was. Um, as dull as it sounds, but the crowd loved every minute of it. You can, you can, I mean, I shouldn't shit on it because, you know, that's what they were there for and the crowd weren't unhappy. Yep, uh, was what it was. So, what did you think overall of, of the um, the WWF show there in the garden? Well, i got to admit, I thought it was a little unfair because, obviously, that was just a house show up against an alleged big show. But 
I think the fact that it was an hour ish kind of kept me going. The, uh, the the match quality was not great, but at the end of the day, it was a recorded house show, and the crowd seemed to like it. So who am I to get a guest complaint? Fair enough. Well, that being said, do you want to go over and pick ourselves a winner before Skype, the internet, or something else in the world stops us from finishing this show? I'm, uh, I think that's a good <laughs> idea. One, two, three! So, first up, I guess we'll talk production value here. Um, as you said, maybe not a fair fight, but I guess they're both working with the same technology, and they both were broadcast, so I guess we can probably compare them enough to pick ourselves a winner. Who did you think had the better production quality on the night? I think it's the WWF. Even though they, it's a house show, I don't know. It just it had a slight edge of being slightly more professional. And they at least cut away from the ring a couple of times for a few interviews. I know they'll have, that that's probably post-show, but I don't know. It just felt slightly slicker, but not. it's not by any stretch of the imagination night and day if you'd have told a um non-wrestling fan watching these two shows that the wf show was filmed six seven years after the awa one they'd probably have believed you so for that reason i'm going to agree with you and go with the wwf show um even though they did lose some of the footage i think i probably would have preferred if the awa had lost some of their match footage so i'm not gonna punish them too much for that but yeah the lighting the crowd actual use of backstage areas um you know it just felt like a bigger show overall because of the production so even in what was probably you know the very early days and before vince mcmahon jr had even bought the company it still was miles ahead of the competition plus no one's my That's true um crowd heat who did you go with here i'm i think i'm probably going to go slightly towards the awa but I don't think that's necessarily because they were happy about what they were getting, but they were certainly vocal enough about the bullshit they had to put up with. I, I went the other way because I think with, you know, like the reactions Backland got were, you know, whilst I, you know, watching it with our eyes, it is quite boring and the main event wasn't anything to write home about. They seemed like a crowd that were happy and were given what they wanted, whereas the crowd in the AWA, just they were having none of half of what was presented to them. And this is a big event that they've been charged extra money to go see and they ended up walking out of it pissed off whereas the wwf crowd they popped for the the faces they booed the heels and they went along for the ride and seemed to enjoy the show you know what you've convinced <laughs> me i'll change my mind fair enough now this is going to be a bit of a tougher one to work over here um because we're not sort of weekly television or anything like that but who did you think had better storyline advancement <sighs> oh well I guess you've got Backlund and Morocco must still be going, although they didn't really sell much in that match because Backlund just won. I, um, no, I, I think I can see where they're going with Hogan and Botwinkle, but it's bullshit. So maybe as a storyline to continue, possibly that, but again, I'd go tie because I don't think there's anything really there that, that leads on. I went tie because I think not, neither show gave me something I was anticipating for a follow-up show. No, no, I don't really want to see anything after this. So, okay. No, it's almost like you didn't both get a point. You both got no points. <laughs> yeah. What um, about characters? Who did you go with there? Uh, again, I'm, I'm hard-pressed. Because the, the the characters then I'm so tuned to sort of like like big 
bigger than life wrestling characters that they they all seem to blend into one. If anything, I probably would go probably the WWF. But again, I've, I've, there's not a lot to go on because I don't I can't really see it in context. But they're not they haven't got set gimmicks at that time to sort of like you can just jump in and watch. Yeah, I think I mostly for this one probably just thought about who gave me more people that I was interested to go back and watch and I probably would say oh it's a bit of a tough one here I think I think I probably have to go with a tie I'd go with the WWF but I'm pissed off they didn't give me Andre when he was on the card so and the AWA did give us Hogan WWF had uh, didn't have Ventura the AWA had Ventura WWF had Morocco had Backland had superstar Billy Graham so all guys that I was looking forward to seeing the AWA had Ventura had Hogan and had Rick Martel so guys I was looking forward to seeing there Um, a tie is good enough for me and oh, that takes that. us to match quality. So who did you go with for match quality? This will be the interesting one. Well, it's safe to say that uh, looking at it with my, uh, with my attitude now, I don't think any of them were particularly great. In fact, I was, I was kind of like, I'm looking for the, uh, the slightly better turd out of the two because they all aren't very good. <laughs> uh, but... It's not that they're bad wrestlers. A lot of it seems to be house show carny bollocks where none of them can be bothered. You've got wrestlers on the AWA who just... This is a, this is what could be considered a pay-per-view or something like that. And they're just wandering around as if they can't be arsed. Uh, at least at least in MSG, uh, you, can, you can forgive them. It is a house <laughs> show. So after... Rant over... Match quality, I think... Oh, God, I don't want to do it another time, but AWA at least had the ladies' match and the Jesse match. And up until the bullshit ended, Hogan wasn't too... Hogan Botwinkle was as good as he could be. I think think I've just convinced myself because on the other side, I've got Bob Backen with his fucking (laughs) headlock. I've got got, uh, Max Risotto and Maltese Dave who don't do anything. Johnny Rods is pretty good. Uh, I'm going to go AWA and hate myself for the rest of the day. I'm going to join you and go AWA and say that with the count here, that probably makes it, I would say, possibly the first time ever. I might be wrong on that. Feel free to correct me if you pay more attention than I do to my own show. But possibly the first time ever a company has won the match quality and still been pasted in the score. Oh, God. It's, It's just horrendous. It's just, just do something. I'm sure these guys are better, and then they're they're just phone seems to be phoning. I in. would hope they're better than this because this is what this is what not one. This is two awful, awful wrestling shows we've just endured. Oh, it's. I mean, if, if you're feeling bad about life, it's like the Jeremy Kyle effect. For anyone who doesn't know what Jeremy Kyle is, chat show over here where the lowest of the low go on and discuss the misery of their life. But if you put it on and you're like, you're a bit down, and you go, well, life could be a lot worse. If you put this show, these two shows on, your life will be better because it can't be as bad as the misery these shows produce. (laughs) Here's a fun tidbit for you. I've attended the Jeremy Kyle show live. Well, I mean, <laughs> There's something I never thought I'd talk about on the podcast. It was about 10 years ago now. Actually, I was with my cousin and my brother at the time. And um, my brother being the uh, slightly younger, more vocal of the two, was, I don't know, talking or something. And Jeremy Kyle heard him in the ad break and began to 
rip on his Australian accent all through the commercial break and then just turned and went back to the show the second that the, the clock hit zero. It was yeah. brilliant. It was really funny, actually. <laughs> yes, he is. But yeah, that does it. So WWF wins out. Um, MSG House Show is better than the AWA Super Sunday. So no wonder they went out of business. Now, on, I, you can see a direct correlation between going out of business and that turdage mess. <laughs> you can see it. If you put Vern Garnier in your main event, you deserve to be out of business. I mean, the only thing comparable for me was... Uh, watching Jerry Lawler and Roddy Piper as the main event of the King of the Ring 94 smack bang in the middle of the new generation. Yeah, yeah, it's just... I I just don't... I understand... It's that thing, if you own the business, you book the business and you wrestle and your business is maybe going down. I understand that he thinks he can fix it himself, but actually, every time somebody tries to do that... It, it usually fails. Yeah, you cannot just jump back in the ring at your age and think that you're going to be the saviour because you're not. You're actually terrible. Yes. Yes, so you are. So that'll do it for these two shows. Um, obviously, we've got to have a bit of a think about where we had in 1984. So I'm awaiting with bated breath your picks for that one. But that's where we'll head to next on our stop. Um, other than that, I've got WrestleMania and I've already forgotten the TNA pay-per-view. I think it's Destination X um, coming up with Duncan, followed by the, the following night's Raw and the previous week's Impact and heading back to 1996, heading towards Uncensored and WrestleMania. So some big, big shows coming up on the horizon. Have you got anything going on yourself you want to talk about before we head out on this one? Uh, nah, not really. Just just doing the Twitter thing and uh, just dedicating my life to what is wrestling in Minecraft, which I think yeah, is reasonable. I've pretty much just gone stir-crazy buying figures and been doing this show. And other than that, football and work. So, same old, same old. Rock, rock and roll oh, life, really. Uh, being a, <laughs> a husband and father, the excitement level uh, has come down in certain areas, but it's gone up in other areas. So, no complaints from me. Yeah, I'm definitely not complaining. <laughs> well, that'll do it for us today. So thank you all for listening. As always, follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Give us a five-star review on iTunes and just generally get in, in touch for a chat and let us know your thoughts on the show. Um, always interesting to hear from more people. We had, I think, another person this week or two people in the last week actually download every episode of the show. So to our new listeners, thank you very much. And I hope you do get through listening the whole lot and carry on with us. So always good to have new people on board. And to everyone else that... It's out there, um, been following us on Twitter as well. Just drop in and say hello. And thank you all once again. That will wrap us up for today. So thank you very much. LL Cool J is hot as hell.